0: Welcome to episode 22 of Turning the Goldfields Green. Today's topic is community houses. They do a lot in our communities from classes in Nordic pole walking to working on complex problems like domestic violence. Today we talk to Kez Jennings from Castlemaine Community House and Amy Atkinson from the Maldon Neighbourhood Centre about what their organisations are doing re- around the very complex societal problem of climate change. This program is produced in Castlemaine on the land of the Jaajawurrung people, and Malden is also on this land. We respectfully acknowledge elders, past, present, and emerging. Salt, salt, salt of the earth, salt, 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 grassroots. salt, grass, 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 salt of the earth, people, grassroots change, salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. Amy, you work at the Malden Neighbourhood Centre and Keralee, or Kez, you work at the Castlemaine Community House. Yep. Can you give me a sense of what your organisations do and and what is the difference between a community house and a neighbourhood centre?
1: Can you go for it, Amy?
2: Okay. So... Essentially, neighbourhood centres and community houses are both the same thing. So broadly, the term that we sort of sit under is a neighbourhood house, and we have a peak body called Neighbourhood Houses Victoria who support the 400-plus houses across Victoria. And just because neighbourhood centres or neighbourhood houses are really embedded in their communities, that's why there's a variation in the name. So, you know, you could have community houses like we have in Castlemaine, neighbourhood centres like we have in Malden, but then there's community centres, neighbourhood centres, Living in learning centres, there's always different names for the same organisation, which is the Neighbourhood House. I guess our role in the community is to really provide a space and a place for people to come together, to connect with each other and to learn. We really support lifelong learning, tribute to the local community and local community needs.
0: What are some of the things that you guys run in the community, not necessarily linked to climate change, but just in general?
2: So the Malden Neighbourhood Centre is involved in a pretty broad range of activities and programs locally. One of the things that we run is the local Molden Market, which is a um, farmers and makers market once a month. We offer an occasional childcare service once a week, and that's we're actually the only childcare provider in Malden. We have a community garden, we have meeting spaces, we have a health and wellbeing program, and a program of sort of educational opportunities like workshops or short courses. We have a very popular one where we partner with the Men's Shed and um, and offer introduction to woodwork courses. We are also sort of involved behind the scenes in in local networks. For example, the Mad Alexander uh, Family Violence Prevention Network and do lots of sort of advocacy for Molden, I suppose. Um, one of the other recent projects has been supporting the community planning process.
0: For people who may not know the area very well, how big is Malden as a township? It's about a ten-minute drive, fifteen-minute drive from Castlemaine. Yeah. So, what what is Malden like as a town?
1: Well,
2: so Malden is about, uh, I think it's twelve hundred people, and then sort of in the surrounding area, maybe up to fifteen hundred. Even though sort of our name suggests we just look after Malden, we you know happy to service people in the outlying areas as well. Like, so we would include starring up as being in our in our community, I suppose you could say. Um, and and places like Michaelford and Walmart. You know, it's a very sweet little town in Malden, slightly older demographic than sort of the Victorian average. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's quite a historical town. There's a lot of heritage overlay and it's a a beautiful town to visit if you love old buildings and old streetscapes that are still sort of relatively intact. And there's a steam train that goes from Castlemaine to Malden, which I find it's, it's it's a great thing. So... Kez, you are at the Castlemaine Community House. Give us a little rundown of what you guys do and maybe give us a bit of a, a, an idea of how big Castlemaine is as well.
1: So similar to Amy and what's happening over at Maldon, also quite broad, a big part of what we do is things like the community lunch um, where we have volunteers coming in and cooking and it's open to the community to come in and share that meal together. We also offer services like Centrelink, so we've got the agency in there and can do NILS loans, assist with the no-interest loans. We offer a lot of ACFI courses, so that's under the, the Learn Local, which uh, we have our really popular Art Pathways course, Permaculture Design course, and lots of other ones in there as well. And then we've got the fee-for-service ones where you can do anything from cheese making to jewellery making, uh, just to, you know, people coming in from the community able to teach something, share something. We also auspice a lot of different groups like MASDAG, the Mount Alexander Shire Disability Advocacy Group, which is really doing a lot of work in the area. We work with the Seniors Festival as well, the Mount Alexander Seniors Festival, which is looking at going online this year. So we're exploring how Mount Alexander can continue to be part of that. Uh, we have, a, have our community garden, which is roaring along at the moment, which is terrific. Catherine Pride each year. Really, sadly, it didn't happen this year, but in the past, it, it's been huge, really well attended.
0: Mm. Well, global pandemics are putting a hold on a lot of events. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I yeah. think you can, you can, uh, yeah, it'll, it will resurge as everything will next year. I'm sure.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and we, and we sit at the table of a lot of networks and various. Groups that are happening, like a recent one around housing and homelessness in Mount Alexander, the Indigenous Roundtable. And we have these, we're open to lots of opportunities here. The new one this year was a um, Nordic Pole Walking, which is for older people to be learning about Nordic Pole Walking as a form of exercise.
0: So, is that walking with a pole?
1: Yeah, but it's not just any old poles, it's specifically to this Nordic pole walking style which is, <laughs> was actually designed for off-season snow skiers to keep fit. So it's that, that kind of a movement and it's really popular here. We're loving it. Yeah, so it, it is quite broad and we are generally a bit of a hub With people come to us with all sorts of queries and needs and I think the beauty of what we do is that we've got so many partnerships around the, the Shire and beyond that we're in a, you know, we're really building ourselves up to be a good space to be able to say to people, okay, so even if we don't, we can't assist you directly with that thing. We have a good idea of, you know, where your next step may be, and if that next step doesn't work for you, come back to us, and we'll do what we can to help you mm. solve this this issue. So I think I,
2: I think that you hit the nail on the head because is that I think neighbourhood houses really are about. You know, being a hub for the community, and our response is always based upon what the community is after. Doing things with the community, you know, partnering and and supporting people who have identified issues and identified needs and helping them to address them. I think that's the core of what neighbourhood has to do.
1: Mm. That's it. Uh, yeah, we hadn't even said the word community. The words community yes. development. That's, that's essentially right. yeah, what we are. What you just yes. said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, community coming to us and saying, "How about this?" and us saying, "All right." Yeah, exactly. That?
2: And, and that, and I think that that makes us, they would have us so unique because they're also incredibly diverse. Because community is a are diverse, so you know we're all responding to these, to different sort of niche things in our own different different communities.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's that's part of what I think is so powerful when when organisations like yours take on climate change and raising community awareness and working with the community on it, is that you have an embedded, like the community already knows you, they trust you, they know that you've got their interests at heart, and it gives you a lot more capacity to reach people that, say an organisation like MASG, which is the sustainability group, can't reach certain people because they write us off as greenies yeah. whereas you guys can reach people who may be more mainstream or not interested in green issues as such
2: yeah mm-hmm. but i think i mean in my mind climate change is is around health and well-being as well which is so core to the work that neighborhood houses doing i do and it's around community resilience as well so even separate from it being an environmental issue it's an issue that's affecting people and yeah. people and communities are what we're enabled houses are all about and so I think that's where there's that really strong link and I think you're absolutely right is that we um, have a different relationship to like a, a more niche group I suppose um, like an environmental group. Yeah. So it's, we have to have a different a different impact.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So Keralee I understand you're studying at the moment can you tell us a bit about what you're studying and how that ties in with your work?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing a, a degree online through Murdoch University over in WA in community development and sustainable development. I'm about third year in at this point and I originally went into this degree for the community development side of it that added the major of the sustainability, sustainable development uh, and the sustainable development become a real passion with it. It's something that's so current, so yeah, something you can really jump into, boots and all, with uh, what's happening in the world at the moment, and it's it's providing a very theoretical base to what I'm doing a lot in my work. And uh, I guess with this study, it's it's drawing me in directions that I probably wouldn't be going in my work um, because with what we do as a community house, so much on the ground, your 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 working with what you have there, you're reacting to or reacting with uh, what the community brings to you about what they want or need but this study is allowing to really dig deep in in certain areas such as a unit I've just completed this week called uh, Regional Resiliency which was a very bizarre bit of synchronicity to start this uh, unit in March considering COVID really hit at the same time so Here I was already looking at the resiliency of our region and then handed on a silver platter this incredibly practical, tangible case study globally, nationally, locally. (laughs) It was just quite bizarre. And at the same time, I managed to tie it all in together and had it in a field report recently, which was a, a, a bit of a study on our region in terms of how are we in covid and it was just the word count was terrible because i had to keep it down to 2000 words but i, I could be i could have written 20000 about um, this region because there's just so much happening here and i really do see what we have in the mount alexander shire as a real potential as a as a framework for resilient regions for for areas that are not feeling sense of resiliency and that strength and cohesion around sustainability and community in general you know, when you look at how the, uh, the farmers market rolled with it with COVID and kept, were able to keep going um, whereas a lot of places just couldn't um, whether they didn't have the community support, the organisational support, the whatever. But here, I, I guess looking at the local producers and farmers and the community who attend the market kept it going. And, and yeah, there was there was a number of aspects to this region that really shone during COVID. So it's, it's fantastic doing this study at the same time as working in it, loving it. Yeah. It's, it's a juggle, but <laughs> loving it.
0: Yeah, the the pandemic has been a, a very interesting... There's been a lot of commentary on how it's reflecting to us perhaps how we might adapt and cope with the changes that will come as the climate changes. Amy, what have you been doing in Malden with adaptation in mind and helping communities be more resilient to climate change?
2: Yeah, we were recipients for, um, of the state government climate change adaptation grant, but even applying for that came... This all came out of the community. We... um. Every three years, we do a strategic planning process to sort of understand what the community would like us to focus on. And one of the things that came out really strongly from that was that, you know, climate change is an existential threat. It's going to impact on our community. How can we build resilience and build an understanding of what climate change is and how it might impact us within the community? So from that point we we ran a few like a big information session on climate change and sort of looking at what people's anxieties and worries were locally and then from that we sort of set up or helped set up the um, local action group and then and then as i said we applied for this uh, climate change adaptation funding and so now we're running a, a project called climate ready molden which is really focusing on two things that, that i suppose are unique about molden one is that As you mentioned, it's a heritage town, so we have some really old housing stock. And secondly, we have got an older demographic. So we've got people who are more vulnerable to some of the climate um, impacts that we're expecting to see or, in fact, are experiencing already, which is like heat waves and increased bushfire risk and things like that. So our project is around educating the community around these likely impacts and then helping them to develop some action plans and some steps to undertake to create cool zones in their homes or to improve improve their homes so that they they don't get super hot in the um, in the summertime and also to help people get bushfire plans in place. Mm.
0: Have you both been hearing from members of the community? I, I remember in an interview uh, I, I had you, Kez, with Susie Burke talking about climate anxiety and you had a story about a woman who walked in off the street and just said, you know, what do we, what do, we do? Like, I'm so worried about this. Have you both just had the community spontaneously contacting you about this? We
1: do get people coming in with general expressions of, I'm feeling anxious, what can I do? How do I deal with it? But we also get people coming in with great ideas of like um, wanting to offer particular workshops or courses in things around climate change or sustainability
0: like the e-bike workshops that were going to go ahead before COVID hit and closed everything down?
1: Yeah, e bikes beeswax, general uh, food preserving, gardening. Yeah, we we get a lot of that. And we've also, we have the more established groups around uh, climate change action coming and using our space as well as a meeting space. Yeah, we do get connections that way for sure.
0: Yeah, that's great.
2: Yeah, we definitely... We wouldn't maybe not get individuals coming in off the street um, in that same way, but definitely, like, in talking to the community, different community members, you know, I get a really clear sense that there are people who are definitely worried about the impact of climate change and and I think it's incumbent upon us to to respond to that and to just build the general awareness of, of what is likely to,
1: to affect people.
0: Mm. And... Kez, can you tell us a little bit about what plans your community house has got uh, to provide for the community around climate change?
1: That's a that's a fun little question, right now, isn't it, Ellie? <laughs> plans, plans. Who's got a plan? Who dare have a plan? So we do we do have some plans around that that we are connecting more with sustainability and climate change activities and programs and, and learning opportunities. One we're looking at at the moment, and I'm a bit excited about it, is a zero food waste course, which is around developing learners' culinary skills and understanding of food production in the context of sustainable food systems. So it's, it's a terrific course that offers a very practical component when looking at food systems that it's kind of bringing in with literacy, helping people have the literacy around this as well so it's looking at your own what are you bringing into your house, where has that come from, did it come from products made in Thailand or has it come from Harcourt and then being able to really drill that down to well what's the carbon footprint of that particular thing what could be an alternative to it and looking at yes, you have your food, you're cooking this with it, but you know how much is going out into your garbage bin or, or could it be going to making soup stock or compost? So giving, giving people a really foundational view of it and understanding of food systems. And another one is um, around saving money, energy and the environment. So it's a course which, um, again, it, it's around developing the language and literacy Um, but in the context of ecological literacy and sustainability. So could be examining your own... Well, what they originally designed with this is that it would be done in-house, as in in the community house, but we've looked at the option of doing it online. So the component of looking at the energy use, electrical use in a building, um, people could then take that and apply it to their own house and be able to examine how much electricity is being used each month, which is the biggest draw on that, um, how to adjust that. So it's, again, providing a really tangible tangible and practical approach to sustainability. So we're looking at those things as well as um, we have our permaculture design course happening, which is really popular. So we're looking at how to supplement that as well. What, what else can we bring to it? And the community gardens being built up, which is terrific because that's also provides a really strong educational point for people around climate change because uh, there's a lot of very passionate people in there. And I think at, at this point, I see it as us just kind of building the community understanding of us being open to more in this space and, and building up the opportunities that are out there. Say we had uh, someone approach us and say, what about TerraCycle, I'll help you set up TerraCycle at the community house so that we've got now got these three bins there that can be accepting um, dental waste, toothpaste tubes, to, uh, toothbrushes, stationary waste with uh, pens and textures and things like that. So I think, I think for us it's about getting out to the community to let them know we want to know what you'd like to see happening and we will be you know we're available to help facilitate that
0: i think that example with the terror cycle is a good example of community groups working together because that was the hub foundation mask and community house all working together and i think we we sort of realized that community house really is the place where the people go it's more the most accessible of all of our office spaces and so it was sort of the obvious choice to place these things to make it really easy for people to recycle if they want to these items that are a bit more obscure
1: i think also with that is that we have the centrelink agency in there so like you were saying before about how to you know mask networks yes you you know you're you're almost preaching to the converted there but community house we have a really broad demographic coming through because of the Centrelink. So it could be, you know, most people have a MyGov account these days and at some point they need to have a chat with a Centrelink agent. So we get, yeah, a, a really broad demographic coming through the community house each day and I see that by having the uh, an active community garden and information in our central agency and and a welcoming friendly place
0: and the community lunch as well
1: and community lunch yeah yeah exactly
0: it really brings in people who who might be a little bit on the periphery or a bit isolated they can come and be in this place with other people and and if you just have a few flyers out or some information about some courses that are about cost saving as well as environment saving then you get a lot more people interested in these things i think
1: yeah, exactly. Like with the the saving money, energy, and the environment course, that it it you know it's tapping into a few different interests with that. That it's not just saying oh just get on board and save the environment, but it's also like this is this is good for you in the very short term as well. So whether that grabs people's attention and then from that learning further.
0: Yeah. So Amy, let's talk a bit more about your uh, climate action. Is it the climate action plan? Sorry, I've forgotten the exact wording.
1: Um
2: oh so we've got i guess we've got there's not really an action plan, but I guess there's um it's our strategic our strategic plan that's for that the neighborhood centre um, has got um, sort of healthy environment as as a key feature of it. and then from that, a lot of these other actions and things have have come about. so aside from sort of reacting to you know need in the community and and working with community, i mean I guess we also see ourselves as a leader in the community, and so to that end we want to. You know, bring some education and awareness around climate change, but also we've we're able to do some advocacy work. So, for example, we've taken, you know, shared some of what, the things that we've been doing with the regional neighbourhood house network. We've sort of pushed the peak body, neighbourhood houses of Victoria, to think about climate change and what that what the implications are into the future more strategically for all the neighbourhood houses um and also to look at their own operations and go, well, we're a part of it and, and that's what we've done ourselves is we've um, you know, crowdfunded for solar panels and built a solar pergola and and have recently applied for more solar panels for the other part of the building and, you know, really looking at our own actions, so offsetting the travel of the community bus and, you know, all these different things as, as well as kind of working with the community. Yeah. So I guess there's lots of different different elements that we're doing and but it's pretty threaded through a lot of our programs because Because it was identified, should have been that
0: strategic level. Yeah, that's great. Kez, you mentioned something in a conversation earlier about there's been a a new focus on environment at the management level of neighbourhood houses.
1: Neighbourhood House Victoria, their AGM earlier this year, no, late last year, squeezing by, they, as their one presentation during the AGM, they had someone get up and talk about the Sustainable Development Goals, which which is just awesome because i i recently went to a another forum on something about sustainability with uh, professors from universities around australia and they said that on the whole australia doesn't have a strong grip on a understanding those goals and b implementing them so it it was really a proud moment to note that neighbourhood house victoria is grabbing that ball and running with it whereas it's not as broadly across other areas. So I see that um, like Amy was saying, that neighbourhood houses really can be leaders and and bring this information to the community and, you know, play a big part in identifying not just what's happening now, but where it needs to be in the future, what where we should be aiming.
2: I totally agree with, with Tez and I think that we the Neighborhood House network, which is you know, like I was saying, 400 plus houses. You know, can have got a lot of strength collectively to adopt and and take up the sustainable development goals, bring them to the the forefront a bit more than you know, is happening now.
0: Mm. So, Amy, tell me a little bit about you. How did you get to work at the Malden Neighbourhood House? What brought you there, and 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 what makes you stay there? I guess.
2: Well, the whole, I mean, the whole ending up in the neighbourhood house is a pretty fortuitous and and random thing I suppose you know I moved into Malden maybe eight or nine years ago now and um, after being living overseas for a time and the position became available and I thought that's actually I might actually could do I could do that (laughs) so my previous background has been in small business and that's the thing with the neighborhood house particularly one of the side of the Malden neighborhood center it's kind of like I mean I've got a few more people supporting me now but it's a bit of a one-man band at the start where there's not huge dollars floating, floating around so it's you got to kind of do a bit of everything, um, but working for small business, that's kind of what you do there as well. So pretty broad skill base, I suppose. But I guess I've always recognised that, you know, community and that, you know, obviously for mold it's a geographic community, I guess. But you know, community can be can mean lots of different things. But that it's it's really important to to have connections. It's about resilience and it's about collective action and making making change, and that. I could really see the potential for neighborhood houses to be that hub in a community. You just really, you, you've got to be open and and I don't mean physically open, but I mean when people come with an idea, you know, let's explore that. Like how, how can we achieve that and be a bit of a yes person, I suppose, because that's how you can make change in the community and foster that sense that the organization can actually do things for and with and um, with the community. So I, th- I think that's really, really important. It's been, it's a really fun place to be. And it's, you know, I feel like we've got a really great community here. And that, yeah, it's great to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, great. And so the Molden Climate Action Network, is that right?
2: Yes, Molden Can Climate Action Network, that's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we we kind of, I don't want to sound a bit harsh, but we kind of burnt, our, burnt ourselves out a little bit. So the group came out of our, Sort of a really initial work in the community, sort of where we had a, a, a presentation about about climate change and what it means and what it is, and really getting down to the basics, and and also talking and asking people about what they were most concerned about. And then out of that, you know, people really wanted to feel a sense of that there was some collective action happening. Actually, that people weren't sort of sitting at home individually, just getting worried about stuff and and making sure their batteries were recycled. It was something that people could come together and really feel like we were doing things together and we will eat it together. So that's sort of how the group came about. And we actually spent a lot of time just talking about the different areas that we all are passionate about, making change in, I suppose, and and just looking at how the how we can make those changes. And then we sort of the thing that we sort of came together over was the Car Free Carnival event back in September last year, which was kind of huge and Fantastic! It was really brilliant, but it was hard. And sort of after that, we sort of sat down and went, "Oh my god, that was that was tough." And then it got into Christmas time, and then it got into bushfires, and then it got into pandemic. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's been in a, pretty much a hiatus since that time. But but having said that, now that we've got the Climate Ready moulden project happening and that funding happening, a lot of the members of that group are, are you know working with me on that in the steering committee level or the working group level, and or as volunteers on the ground. So in some ways the passion of, of those individuals is still being being harnessed. And and the other thing that came out of it was that one of our members has been part of the work that was being led by Adapt Lod and Mallee That's been a really great thing for her to, to get on board
0: with. They ran a climate leadership course yes. for people. And so yes. one of your people participated in that.
2: Exactly. And yeah, so that's been really good. And I think in a few months time we'll come together again and really sit down and go, Okay, well, let's focus our group and, and work out how we want to make a difference locally and and go on from there.
0: So now you have some funding to run a program called Climate Ready Maldon. Tell us a bit about what is being planned there.
2: Yeah, so with that we're going to be, there's a couple of, I guess the the main parts is around awareness raising and education and then we're also going to um, pull together a team of volunteers who can do a thermal comfort assessment of people's homes and work with households to to make some really simple changes so that they um, can deal with extreme heat and, and heat waves better. We sort of recognize that our community, because it is older, is is particularly vulnerable to, you know, in terms of heat health. And then, of course, the other aspect is that Maldon is classified as extreme risk um, of bushfires. So working with the CFA to make sure that people have plans in place, bushfire plans or emergency plans. So there's a couple of different areas, I suppose, that we're going to be working in. And um, we're sort of in the early stages because, of course, again, the pandemic got in the way of things
0: what's this, what's the time scale of that project It's going to be completed April 2021.
1: I think a really important part of what neighborhood houses can bring to climate change is the is the partnership we have mm. and and how we are really not just prepared to but are really looking for opportunities to work together with you know because we work so closely with council and the climate change coordinator there you know all the, all the neighborhood houses, Within our our network and you know, partnerships with like MASG and yeah you know, and, and being able to bring together different. Groups that otherwise might not overlap with, say, the seniors festival, we're able to, you know, incorporate into the seniors festival issues around climate change, um, say the e-bike offering something during the seniors festival, and and other aspects of sustainability and climate change, and being able to build them in in different places, like getting people on board with the Castlemaine Pride. Uh, Maz having a stall there maybe wash against waste or something like that and being able to think really broadly about okay we've got this how, could, how does that fit in with other things and general interest that's going on there and and we get a lot of you know inquiries from people saying oh I'm thinking of doing this who should I talk to and being able to have a number of networks to say okay well you, you could start with this person or try contacting them and just being able to really bring some cohesion to it, so there's not mm. too much doubling up. Because, it, like Amy was saying, there's a there's a sense of burnout sometimes with things. Of you've got so you know people spread across a few different groups doing very similar things. But if you can bring it together more, then that energy is not being burnt out as quickly. There's more of a sense of support. You know the the connections that we have with the state government, the the local government. I think they're all Really important, instead of people off doing their own thing and possibly getting disheartened after a while. I think the thing that's really particular about
2: climate change is that action can be has to be embedded sort of across the spectrum. In the same way that it's so, it was so important for council to to declare that climate emergency and to then look at every single thing that they do and what is the climate impact. So I think enabled houses can do that for their own operations, but also bring the issue into the everyday, embed it in our practice. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not a fringe issue. This is It's so overarching across everything. So I think we can really bring it to the front of, of everything that we do.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the strengths of the community houses is that you can reach and pull into the fold or include people that may not be included or be exposed to this stuff otherwise. I think to
1: to make the whole concept really accessible to people. I, I know if you know sometimes if a group is incredibly passionate about their thing that perhaps someone who's just beginning to explore that concept may feel a bit intimidated of I I don't understand. What is sustainability? Oh, God, I don't want to look silly by asking a silly question when, Mm. in fact, it's not silly and there shouldn't be any assumptions about people having that language or that understanding. Instead, it should be presented in a way that says, oh, well, feel free to ask. And and we're happy to talk to you about this in in a way that is accessible and inviting and welcoming and not presenting a, well you're either with us or against us kind of thing. It's a, it's a we're all here and, and let's find some common ground on this that say, you know, there may be people who, no, they don't feel they're very interested in environmental concerns, but they're very passionate about burn-offs and bushfires and things like that, which can overlap into the environmental space. So it's quite strongly, but maybe there's not a, there wasn't a, an awareness before. So I think Really important part of community houses is finding commonalities, common grounds to be able to bring people to a table together to have a conversation. Mm. And I guess there's some really so to to jump in.
2: I think what it does is in in some ways it it divorces the climate action from identity, because Mm. you know often being an environmentalist or being a greenie, it's obviously it's driven by and you know an understanding and what a desire to to make change and to, to improve the environment, but it's also tied up with identity. And if you're someone who, I don't know, is born and bred molden and has fished at the down the river forever and you don't you don't identify as a greenie in that same way. But that doesn't mean you haven't got a role to play in, in climate action. And I think, you know, to have success, like to make changes, it's like with the pandemic response, we're all in it together. If we're not all doing it, it's actually not going to work. Mm. It's only when we get to a point when everyone has to make changes that we will see that difference. So I guess what we want to do is get that sense that we're all in it together before we hit a crisis moment. And I think that's, that's where, you know, organisations that aren't sort of branded or labelled as um, environmental or, or green can get some traction into those parts of the community that don't identify in that
1: way.
0: Absolutely, yeah. yeah to,
1: to let people know that it doesn't have to be an... All or none situation. Yeah. You're doing your bit. Maybe you're using beeswax wraps. That's awesome. And then, you know, a few weeks later, they incorporate something else into their lives instead of um, thinking that, well, I can't do that because to do that properly, I have to go completely off breed with everything.
0: I have to be a bike riding vegan who only uses candles at night and they have to be beeswax candles. Oh, my God, I can't do it.
2: (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) I don't think a vegan would be using beeswax candles. Oh, that's true. You're so right, soy
0: candles, soy (laughs) candles.
2: (laughs) 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 But it's funny because the other day, it was a bit off topic, but I'm part of the tennis club locally and and on the agenda, I was like, I'm going to add climate action. And everyone was like, why have we got climate action on here? I'm like you there a summer sport? What is going to happen when it's 40 plus days in a row? Like we won't be able to play. Like we've got to be doing something too. Everyone has to be doing something.
1: Yeah. You know, very people,
2: real. Yeah, but people were like, Wah, rah, rah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we're not in <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're not we're not there yet. But I think you know all of these things, as you were saying, Kez, Like people don't have to make a dramatic change. They make, need to make small, progressive steps. And if we're all doing it, that adds up to big collective change.
0: That was Amy Atkinson from Malden Neighbourhood Centre and Kez Jennings from Castlemaine Community House discussing how organisations like theirs can play an important role in helping communities take action on climate change, participate in mitigation action and plan for adaptation. So as Kez mentioned in the interview, the Castlemaine Community House has recently worked with the Hub Foundation and MasG to set up some terracycling stations. How the frick are you supposed to recycle that? TerraCycle is a company that will take some of the weird streams of recycling that the household wheelie bin collection will not accept. So there are many, many types of recycling that TerraCycle does and you can choose the ones that you want to collect. Casamine Community House currently hosts three streams of recycling. Dental products, coffee capsules and writing implements. With the dental products, items accepted include toothpaste tubes and caps, manual toothbrushes, electric toothbrush heads, toothpaste tube, plastic packaging and floss containers. TerraCycle does not recycle electric toothbrush handles or they have a separate stream for that, or you can take it out with your e-waste. Also, please ensure that excess product has been removed from toothpaste tube for example and if it has been washed please dry it completely so once it's collected the dental products are separated by material and shredded and then melted into hard plastic to be remolded into new recycled products the coffee capsules again they ask that you please squeeze excess liquid from the capsules or if you're washing them to dry them completely so when they go there, the capsules are cleaned and melted down into hard plastic to be repurposed. And with the writing instruments, they accept all writing instruments except for wooden pencils, crayons, and chalk. So any brand of pen, felt tip, highlighter, marker, correction, fluid, pot, and again, the whiteout has to be empty. Even the the correction tape, so whiteout tape, can be accepted. Mechanical pencils and eraser pens, so regardless of what they're made of note that they do not accept glue sticks erasers rulers or other cutting objects like Stanley knives that could disturb the recycling process please be careful not to include any of those items once collected again the writing instruments are cleaned and melted down into hard plastic for repurposing so get to it start collecting these products dental care coffee capsules and writing implements and take them to the Castlemaine Community House If you are not in central Victoria see if you can find somewhere locally that recycles these sort of products i have put a link to the TerraCycle page in the episode description and you can go to their website to find out how to get collection points set up in your area if you don't have any now this was our third last episode we're going to do 24 in total as you probably know this program has been funded for the past six months by the wonderful CBF the community broadcasting foundation They do amazing work right across Australia supporting community radio and television and making it possible for programs like this one to exist. I have applied for further funding, which if it comes through, will help the show continue for another year through to June, 2021. So wish me luck. If we do succeed in getting the funding, we will be looking to become financially independent beyond that and may look at sponsorship and crowdfunding, but I'll let you know all about that in August. So I will take a holiday through July. And while I do, I will play some old episodes from a 2018 series I made called an environment for change. And then I'll be back in August with some extra interviews I have recorded this year, but I've run out of time to include them in the 24 that we've got going now. And by then we'll also know whether or not we got the funding and whether the show will be ongoing. Also, while I'm giving you an update on what is coming up, Next week is Radiothon at Main FM. And so for the radio version of the show, I will be live with my friend Ellen and we will have some interviews about fast fashion and how to choose better ways of wearing clothes. And those interviews will be uploaded as a podcast as usual, but without the Main FM Radiothon business in between. On another note, it's a tricky time to ask for money with so much uncertainty and many people having lost work. But both MAZG and Main FM do brilliant work in our community and could use your support if you're able to give it. Main FM is going to be running their Radiothon from June 20th to 27th, and it's absolutely affordable to subscribe and get a bunch of great benefits if you do. Lots of local businesses give discounts to Main FM subscribers, and it helps keep this wonderful station going. You just have to go to mainfm.net, the website, and click on the subscribe button. And if you fill out the form and select your favorite show, which is Saltgrass, of course, then you get to benefit from all of the things that are listed right there and it's membership time for MASG so as a not-for-profit sustainability group your membership means an awful lot to us if you are able to join MASG and support MASG in all of the wonderful work it does in helping our shire and our region become more sustainable it would be greatly appreciated you can go to masg.org au, and you will see a memberships tab on the website there, and just follow all the steps. So if you're able, please think about supporting Mazg and Main FM. Salt, salt, salt of the earth, salt,
1: salt, salt,
0: Grassroots. Grassroots. salt of the earth, people, grassroots change, salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. My name is Alison Hanley and I have been your host today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in any of the books, articles or websites mentioned in the show, you can find links to them in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com. You can follow us on Facebook or subscribe to our emailing list to get reminders and updates about the show. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have ideas for topics, know someone amazing we should talk to, have a recycling tip, a green product review, or have a song recommendation. Again, email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. This program was produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG and Main FM. It should be noted that the statements and opinions of myself and the people I interview are not the official positions held by either Main FM or MASG. We welcome feedback and responses to the ideas expressed on the show. If you would like to respond to something discussed on the program, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com.